The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. First of all, there's a clear source in the Torah, which we'll discuss a little later, as to that you're allowed to violate any law to save, to accept the big three, to save uh, life, including Shabbat, including Yom Kippur, whatever it is. But what we discussed was how far do you take that um, in the sense of, let's say, a psychological need. For example, we discussed um, one case we discussed last week was was relevant to last week. Um, unfortunately, be relevant again. To, like missiles are being shot, and uh, there's a father who has a hard, missiles being shot into his town in Israel, and the parents live somewhere else, and they, he has a heart condition. Can he call his kids on Shabbat to find out that they're okay? Is that considered a violation of Shabbat because he has a heart condition and he's anxious? His anxiety. How far do you? Where do you? Where are the gold lines? Are there any gold lines in when it comes to saving a life? That you say, uh, you know, listen, okay, give me a break. This is a little too far. The other, the other example you mentioned was a case, which is these are actual questions that were asked to rabbis, which was a case where you have a doctor doing surgery on Shabbat to save a life, and he claims he needs to smoke a cigarette before to perform the surgery. I think we discussed this way back when, properly or better. He says he'll do the surgery better. This is good for a surgeon. You ever smoked? Never, never no. smoked. Oh, I smoked Not a cigar yesterday. You ever inhale? Hmm? You ever inhale? Never. Um, so the the question becomes: So the surgeon says I'm going to do a better surgery by having my cigarette before the surgery. Is, is that listen? Kolchnefesh saving a life. So therefore, we allow everything. Where do you draw the line? I did know a, an orthopedic surgeon at one time who used to, on long cases take a break in the middle and have a cigarette. Did, did, he, did it help keep his hand steady? When I was an intern... I don't know, but he was a damn good surgeon. When I was an intern, I needed to do a spinal tap and a particularly difficult case. I couldn't get it done. I called the neurosurgeon. He comes down, his hands are shaking like this. He's the resident. He said, just a second. Comes back about, leaves, comes back about five, six minutes later, reeking from booze pop right in. They fired him a couple of weeks later for being drunk. Okay. Have a moment. So, uh, <laughs> so, okay, so just so, so I, so I was going to do something else, but I'll just, since we're on the kosher topic, I'll connect it. All Torah is connected, so there's a, there's, a, there's a fascinating question. That was what we discussed last week. We, we didn't come to a clear answer. Um, the case, by the way, just the case with the missiles, so the rabbi answered in that case, um, what he wrote there in the book was the rabbi explained that he would allow a non-Jew to call for them. They should ask a non-Jew to call their kids to make sure they're safe. That would be allowed. If there's no non-Jew, so then he would allow the father to do it in the case of a heart condition. There's one other case we discussed, and I don't, I don't remember. I mean, this is very relevant. Yeah. So who answers the phone? Listen, if they could be, uh, maybe the kids aren't religious, I don't know. If nobody answers the phone, is it because of Chavez or because they got killed by the could be, it'll be more anxiety. Right, so by the way, the, the source for this in the, is in the Shulchan it's very clear, that discusses um, something called Yisuve Daite. For example, it's very relevant to childbirth. It says that the Shulchan says very clearly that let's say someone's going to the hospital on Shabbat, but they say they need their husband, you know, they're scared to go without their husband. The woman's in labor. Right, she wants her husband there. She, she needs someone to, to punch, to scream at, right? So, uh, so she wants her husband to come now, because it's technically her life is in danger, or maybe, quote unquote, her life is is the one that needs to be treated. 
What does the husband have to do with it? The husband is just a bystander in childbirth, as we know. Haven't they become one when they got married? <laughs> so, uh, it depends on, which, on the marriage. We're not getting into to the details of the marriage here. But the point is, so, so the Shokhanas is very clear, that's okay. Meaning, because the emotional, um, uh, the, or the, I, guess, I guess you can call it the, the language of the Shokhanas, is Yisuve Daite. That means her anxiety is also important to her physical health. They understood that even way back when. We discussed this in the past also, that emotional health can affect your physical health. We had this concept um, also when we were discussing end, uh, end of life issues and things like that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think we were discussing uh, many cases where you don't, let's say, you're not, you don't want to tell a patient bad news. That whole, we spent a while discussing that. But it's the same concept. The concept is that halacha recognizes that a person's emotional health can affect their physical health. And therefore, on Shabbat, we violate Shabbat even for emotional health. In a, in a situation where the emotional health, again, can affect the literally the safety of the person. So, so to here, even if it's an outside person, um, you still, if, the hus- if she says she needs her husband to, to be calm, so then we allow the husband to go. Or if she says she needs her mother-in-law or whoever it is, so that person will be allowed to travel with her and violate Shabbat um, in order to go with her because of this concept. So it's a very important. That's the source where you see, this is in the Talmud, that... Um, it's not just the physical health of the person. So let's say, like we're saying, this guy has anxiety and he has a heart condition, so there's a valid concern there. The anxiety, we know, could uh, exacerbate his, his heart condition, and therefore we would allow him to violate Shabbat, if need be. Um, the, the case, I'm trying to remember what the other case was. Um, I can't remember. But, uh, uh, but then, uh, so the, and the, 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 the source is also, by the way, the Shulchan Aruch discusses, oh, that was the case. There was another question that we discussed, which was a blind, the, the Shulchan Aruch discusses this. Let's say you have a blind person. Uh, normally, the, the halacha is, you can even, let's say the patient who's a seriously ill, we're talking about only the category number one patient, which is a seriously ill patient, asks for, they need a light off in the room. So technically, it has nothing to do with their health. That's not going to affect their health or not health, right? But the Shulchan Aruch says you're allowed to shut if there's no non-Jew. If you could ask a non-Jew, ask a non-Jew. If there's no non-Jew around, you can ask a Jew. Even the Jew can shut the light on Shabbat for that same. The person wants to sleep better because since that patient is a seriously ill patient, therefore the assumption is um, that anxiety can exacerbate their illness, their physical illness, and therefore whatever they ask for, if they ask to change it, they need Oprah to calm down. So then you're allowed to turn on Oprah on Shabbat. To, uh, um, there is a limit. Afraid of the dark, I uh, exactly. Can turn it exactly. On. Exactly. So that's what we're saying. So that's a very important thing. And the question that he discussed was, what about a blind woman who who says she wants the light on for the, there's a dim light in the room, and she she can't see. When we discussed this, can she really see? Can she not? But let's assume Shacharach is assuming she can't see at all in this case, and she's saying, but she's more comfortable if the doctor is working with the light on. The doctor says he doesn't need the light. Okay, he's fine. He can see very well the dim light. She says, I want the light on because I'm not comfortable. But she's blind. There's nothing to do with her. She won't even know if you turn it on her, technically speaking, although we had that argument. Um, so say he says, it's still, in that case, you probably are allowed to turn on the light to calm her anxieties, even if she's totally um, clueless about whether it will help or not. Yeah. So if a synthetic heart valve has an 83% chance of success when implanted, and the pork heart valve has an 87% yeah, that's, chance. That's the so when you get there, that, that's some total myth that was created by I don't know who. It actually was on uh, that doctor show. 
Um, what's name? Some old doctor shows, like 15 years ago. Doctor Kilder. No, no. The, ben uh, Casey. No, no. More modern than that. More modern. You know what's the? Marcus Webley. No, no, no. It's the. Uh, um, I, I know which one you're thinking of. Yeah. With the doctors in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and they would date each other. Grey's Anatomy. Chicago. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy. It was a Grey's Anatomy show with a old black girl who comes in and she refuses to have a pig heart valve implanted, which is it's a total myth. It's always have you have the Hollywood writers who think they are Jewish who yeah. know they who think they know anything about Judaism. They always get it wrong. Yeah, so it's okay to put it up. Hundred percent. The only prohibition is eating pork. There's no prohibition in injecting pork. What about smearing it on you? You can okay. bathe in it. Play football. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What? What about? What if the synthetic heart valve is a little more successful than the pig heart valve? But it doesn't matter. It's not a question of pig heart valve. So what's the question? There's no issue about pig heart valve. Yes, there's zero issue about pig heart valve. It's a total myth. I don't know. I'm totally, like I'm saying, it's total. There's no question. So it's it's a problem. Jews. Insulin is okay. Jews are crazy. What? Pork insulin. Yes. Yes. Injecting. It's only the Torah prohibits eating pork. Nothing else. Whatever else you want to do with pork, if I own pork bellies. Um, now, so, so I want to get to actually, so related to this question, I'm happy you brought it up, and related to the kosher issue, which is, uh, it's not what they're planning on talking about it, but I'm going to try to see if I can <coughs> find it, I have to remember where the source is. So there's a question like this, what, so it comes to Shabbat, so this guy um, needs to eat, let's say the doctor says, life-saving, life-threatening situation, the doctor says this guy needs to have protein ASAP, meat, and there's no meat around, okay, there's no meat around, so we have two options. We can either um, go into Kroger's and buy non-kosher meat, or we can go to the backyard and shecht a cow for it, or chicken. Okay, they're both violate. Only one's a violation of Shabbat; the other one's a violation of kosher. So we have a choice here. No, the Torah says that you have to live by the commandments. That means don't allow any commandment in the Torah to threaten your life. Okay, so therefore. It's permitted. It's a mitzvah to violate Torah in that case. But now I have a choice of two violations. I have a choice of, should I violate Shabbat, today's Shabbat, and slaughter an animal, it'll be kosher food we're feeding him, or should I violate kosher, not, in the, not violate Shabbat, but feed him non-kosher meat? So which one do we do? So that's the question on the table. Shabbat is, is a higher right, level, so is it not? So that's what you would assume, meaning you would assume to... The halacha is, you'd say, you're saying, if you were a rabbi, your beard was a little longer, you'd be saying, um, yours is long enough, huh? what's happening? Um, so, so uh, you would say, Ed, Ed is saying that Shabbat is much worse. Shabbat, by the way, is a, it's a biblical, both biblical commandments, but one is what we call, uh, um, they're both negative commandments. Shabbat is karis, that I means it's much more serious. It's a death penalty officially. Someone violates Shabbat intentionally. It's a death penalty. As opposed to kosher, people think pig is the worst thing in the world, but it's, you're right. On the hierarchy of sins, it's technically not as bad because pig is just what we call a lav. It's a regular negative prohibition. In the times of the temple, yeah, you yeah. get lashes, that's it. Yeah, it's in the Big Ten. Shabbat, Shabbat, is, Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat is in Shabbat. the Big Ten. Exactly. Pork is not. <laughs> Pork is not. Again, it's people in the world, the Jews think, well, that's like the worst. It's a sin, I'm not saying, but it's not, uh, it's not, it doesn't compare to Shabbat. Is it worse to eat non-kosher, is it worse to eat pork than to eat non-kosher beef? Well, Same difference, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, as far as the Torah is concerned, on the, on the 
biblical level, they're all the same. For some reason, Jews, we have this thing that pig is, the Torah does Torah says specify pig. That's just as an example of an animal that doesn't uh, have, that, that has split nose and doesn't chew its cut. It doesn't say it's an example, it just says the only pig. No, it gives that as an example. It gives that as the prime example of something that has one, you know, it only gives three examples, that's one of the three. Okay, so... Later on it talks about chewing cuts. Right, but this, so there's no technical, right, so pig technically is not any worse. For some reason over there, I don't know why, it just became this disgusting, I guess the epitome of non-kosher was chazer treif. We call it chazer treif, which chazer is the word for pig. Yeah. But is there really something, I, I'm not sure. Um, what I heard was that the pig is, um, you know, it has split hooves, but it doesn't uh, chew its cut. cut, so you can't see from the outside. So it's... it's no, no, it says, the, the, the matter says that it's like showing off, because it shows it's split, it split the pig sleeps like this. It, you know, its hooves are out in front when it sits, when it lays down, and you know, it's showing you, I'm kosher, I'm a clean animal, but yeah. very nice. So that's, so we have this aversion to pork, I'm not sure if it's any worse than, right. than like he's saying, the beef that's not slaughtered. People, Jews, you know, it's a nice thing, you don't like it, it's a beautiful thing, and you like it. Um, so, so the question, so you hear the question on the table, so he's saying very clearly, um, don't violate Shabbat, don't slaughter, give him non-kosher, that's what you would say. Anyone else opinions? I'm, I'll agree with that. So, I so, why well, you don't? Uh, know. Of course, that's, that's a very a dangerous decision. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and and of course we're both going to be wrong, right? <laughs> so I, the truth is, I have to, I don't I wasn't prepared for this. I'm doing it. I don't know remember the Shulchan answer per se, um, but I believe I believe so. There, there's it's there's, there's for sure is an argument, of course. It's always the same way in the early authorities about this case. Um, so there's a discussion about which one, uh, which one is the optimal choice. So some, many, many seem to say that we do, you do violate Shabbat as opposed to non-kosher. Now the question is why. So that's the discussion. Um, why, why would we tell someone to violate Shabbat? So there's a few um, explanations that they discuss here as to why Shabbat, and I'll try to remember off and again I can't find, I don't remember the source and where it exactly is, it's a big book here. So, but the, basically there's one issue is, which is a very interesting question in general, when it comes to this law of the Chaybam, of violating any law in the Torah, so how do we view that law? Meaning, should we, as we, we do find Shabbat, that we do try to minimize the violation? Something called, we do what's called Hakalakal Tchila. We discussed this in relevant Yom Kippur. So let's say someone, the doctor says this person has has to eat on Yom Kippur. So do we give him a nice sits down to a nice steak dinner, filet mignon, kosher, of course? Or do you do you say no? You got to eat your little Ritz cracker, you know, this big, and it should be less than the than the than the amount. So if possible, Shulchan Aruch says it's better to do it that way. It's better to, to minimize the prohibition to do it, let's say, in rabbinical fashion. So for example, the my mother's diabetic, she has to break her fast in Kippur, so she knows, she takes Ritz cracker, I don't know it's Ritz, some other cracker, she likes graham crackers, um, and uh, she breaks it into a, a, shot a shot glass, which is the less than the requisite amount that you're violating your Kippur, and then she eats it every hour, she has one shot glass. She has a little scotch, and a little alcohol in there, just to, for, to help her out through the day, but the point is, so, so why are you doing that? Again, if it's an emergency, of course, you give the guy a flame, you know, whatever is available. But if it's possible to minimize the violation, we do do that. That's what it would seem. 
but it's but it, then itself is so so that's applied to Yom Kippur. So to on Shabbat it says that's why we're saying if the non-Jew is available, better use a non-Jew. If there's no non-Jew available, then of course uh, you know. So the question becomes here: so how does this apply? So, so so really dependent on a very fundamental argument, which is and this is a it's a fascinating question, very Talmudic. Uh, give you some Talmudic analysis. It's called what we call, and I think I'm sure we've discussed it here in the past. There's a there's a question of what's called chutra or dechuya. Okay, there's two Hebrew words. One chutra means it's permitted. Dechuya means pushed aside. Literally, the word dechuya means pushed aside. So we, how do we view when the Torah allows you to violate any prohibition for the sake of saving a life? Is it, let's say, take Shabbat. So today's Shabbat, and the Torah says, of course, if someone's life is in danger, you have to violate Shabbat. So the question becomes, is the Torah telling you today is Monday? and therefore do whatever you have to do, it's not Shabbat. We, Shabbat was never given in a situation where le- your, someone's life is in danger. That's one way of looking at it. And therefore it's Monday. So whatever you would do on Monday, don't you, on Monday you wouldn't go to your neighbor to, to ask him to drive you to hospital, you'd get in the car and drive yourself. Okay, if you have chest pain, they're not going to go knocking on your neighbor's door. So sh- today's no different. Okay, that's called, um, that's called chutra. That means, it's, today is not Shabbat. The Torah is telling you when it comes to saving a life, God never commanded you to observe Shabbat when um, there's a danger to life. That's, that's called chutzpah. It doesn't exist. So therefore, you don't have to minimize it, what you're trying to do. Do whatever you have to do. Whatever you do on Monday, do on Saturday. That's one way of looking at it. The other way is no. There's an override. We have two competing laws in the Torah. We have the law of Shabbat. Um, and then we have the law of saving life. So the law of saving life is more important. Overrides Shabbat. Okay, so the, but that means it's not that today is Monday. Today is Saturday. We agree it's Shabbat. Just, there's an override if you have to save a life. We allow you to violate Shabbat. But not that it's not Shabbat. Okay, now the, the practical difference is going to be this question. Do I have to go and try to minimize the violation? If you say Hutra, that it's, today is Monday, that's the way we're looking at it. So then, you can do whatever you want. Don't call, don't go, don't look for non-Jews. Do whatever you have to do. If you need your music, blare it on the way to the hospital to relieve your anxiety, you like Def Leppard, you need your heavy metal, you got to do that. Because it's, it's, today's Monday. Okay, so you do whatever you have to do. As opposed to if it's today is Saturday, just we're saying there's an override, it's Tuchuya, Shabbos is pushed aside, so then in whatever possible way you can minimize the violation, you have to do that. So that's the two sides of the coin. And dependent on that, that would be the, the, the question here. Meaning, so, so like you're saying, Shabbat is really a, a more, let's apply it to our, getting back to our question, should I serve him kosher, non-kosher, or should I serve him Shabbat? Should I violate Shabbat to feed him? So if you say Shabbat is hutra, today is Monday, so then it's irrelevant. Of course, slaughter the animal, violate Shabbat. If you say, meaning is it, you know, the meaning you're not, we don't look at the, se- the severity of the prohibitions, because the Torah says, prohibitions don't apply when there's a danger to your life. It's not here. God never commanded the prohibition. So the severity of the prohibitions are irrelevant. If you say that we're just, there's an override, so then you now have to figure out which override, if I'm going to violate one law, I have a choice of two laws, which law should I override? So we look for the lesser prohibition, then I would have to give him a non-kosher food on Shabbat and not violate Shabbat, because that's a less severe prohibition. That's one way of looking at it. So how do you decide which of those two applies? (coughs) No, so the ant technical. Oh, so that's a good question. That's an argument. That's a medical argument. It's it's not clear. There are different opinions as to how we view Shabbat. Um, there are some people, and we mentioned last week. There, you know, there, there's 
as we mentioned last week, a very, it's very clear in the halacha that when it comes to saving life, we don't start playing around. You don't ask a rabbi, you know, it says someone that we mentioned last week, someone who goes and asks the rabbi, is a murderer. Because by you delaying and asking the question, you, are, you might end up, this person's life might, might be endangering his life by wasting those 15 seconds. We know how important response time is in many medical areas, many medical maladies. So, so that's very clear. So it would seem like we don't, we don't fool around. But if it's possible, you have plenty of time, and you know, then, then so you'd say, okay, might as well get the non-Jews. So. so saving a life is actually a mitzvah in and of yes, itself. Yes, 100%. So uh, one could, could make a, another argument that that's a, a superior mitzvah, and you can do anything obviously uh, so even if even if you would make the argument that pick the, violate the, the lesser important of the two laws uh, the, the saving of life trumps all of that and so the others shouldn't even be a consideration I guess that would almost right. be like the Monday Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's what we're saying. Meaning, so according to that, when it comes to Yom Kippur, if the doctor says this person has to eat on Yom Kippur, he could eat filet mignon. There's no reason he shouldn't have a six-course meal. So maybe it's not in the spirit, but there's no, you know, today is not Yom Kippur for this patient. The doctor said this patient cannot observe Yom Kippur, so now he let him go to, I don't know, I wouldn't say Whataburger, but or three brothers, God forbid, but let him go to, to, uh, to uh, let him have a nice meal. If Genesis <laughs> makes a mistake, fine, beautiful. Meaning, so, so, but again, if you say it's just an override, so as much as we can minimize it, and it seems like for whatever reason we do say we try to minimize it. So again, there's a lot of discussion as to why. So, would it matter how many other, if if you say it's Monday? then it doesn't make any difference all the other things you have to do because if you slaughter it, you right. have to cook it, whatever, whatever, whatever. Exactly. So if you say it's Monday, that gets rid of a whole lot of other... Right. I mean, then, then you're a free person. There's no, there's no questions here. Whatever you need to do. Whatever you would do on a Monday, you do on Saturday. So that... You wouldn't need unkosher meat. You wouldn't need the unkosher oh, meat. Oh, no. Because you'd still have to go to Kroger to buy the unkosher no, meat. No, I understand that. But I'm saying is, you know, is we don't try to f try to figure out a way which one's more sever severe. It's irrelevant. Okay. You're, you're, you're today, you're not Jewish. If you're ill, you're not Jewish. That's basically what we're saying. Concerning the extent. You know, you don't have to keep the Torah. You're not, there's, God never commanded the Torah in this scenario. So it's irrelevant. Severity, who cares? It's 100% permitted. Now, that, that's really so, what it's based on. So even if you have to do other violations of Shabbat too, yeah, because it's not Shabbat. Today is Monday. It's not Shabbat. That's so, the, so in other words, that should be the government. It makes more sense that that governs than. Well, that's the question I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not posing as a question because there is an argument, and it's oh, not who's clear. Who's on which side? I don't know. There's a different. It's early authorities. There's a rush. I mean, I don't. I can't tell you offhand. Okay. I wasn't prepared for today. But the other thing is, so there's another way. There's another issue here which they discuss, which is the problem with the non. The reason why you're right. No, it's technically one of the authorities. I remember answers like this. Technically, you're right. Shabbat is more severe. But if I'm gonna, the way it works, if you look at that scenario, this patient needs protein. So either we're gonna have to give him Kroger's trafe, or, or we're gonna have to give him. Uh, slaughter an animal for him and violate Shabbat. 
Subway, we can go in, we'll get it, they'll give us a sandwich on the spot. That will take care of it, but it's not kosher. Or you can give them some IV protein fluid. Yeah, but you don't have a case now. You're not near a hospital, you're in oh, West Texas where there's no hospitals and whatever, right? You're in Lubbock, there's no hospitals. Okay. So so now the, 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 I forgot about the Alabama one. Hmm? You're in Alabama. Really shouldn't let you in the class today. You're from Alabama. That's right. Okay. Um, so, uh, so the point is like this. Life is sacred in Alabama. <laughs> Not Let's not go there. Um, so the point is like this. So so he says like this. It was a ru- I think the rush says this. I don't want to quote it for sure, but I think it's the rush. It was an early authority. He says that when it comes to violating Shabbat, there's a one-time deal. You shech the animals. That's there's one violation. You slaughter the animal, and now the guy's kosher food. Everything's good. When it comes to nevela, when it comes to eating non-kosher meat, every kezayit he eats is a new violation. That means every olive uh, volume of olive is, right. is a separate violation. So, as opposed to Shabbat, you're right. In essence, the violation of Shabbat is more severe than kosher. But the question is, how many? When you add up the tally, how many sins is this person going to get? So, if he's having a full steak dinner, there's 12. Uh, you might have 12 olive volumes of steak of, non- of non-kosher. Each one is a separate sin. So, therefore, we'd rather have him violate the one-time deal of Shabbat. And have them violate the uh, the twelve uh, olive volumes. One, one equals that's one. That's a different question. How many? Shochet. Right. How exactly. Many exactly. Three, it's one sin. Three kazayits. Right. Right. So one sin. There. You know. We eat. Even if you we look at these sins. The tally of the sins. Right. Yeah. So that's a good question. <laughs> Meaning, he, he has to be warned between each one how that works. But uh, yeah. Can is, is a is an animal slaughtered on Shabbat? By kosher rules, still kosher. Oh, so Only for that guy. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. And then you got a lot of. It's a good question. I actually had this question. I worked. So I once uh, worked as a kosher supervisor in Mount Sinai Hospital when I was single. I used to make money on weekends. I would leave yeshiva and uh, with a lot of money, you'd stay for the weekend. You got your own apartment in Manhattan, in Central Park. It was awesome. So I. Uh, so when I was in this hospital, the question becomes: They, you, the, for patients, you're allowed to violate rabbinical law on Shabbat, even a non-deathly old patient. So their kitchen, they would warm up food. They wouldn't cook in on Shabbat. They'd warm up food that was already cooked. Things like that were done by non-Jews on Shabbat for the Jewish patients. They had a kosher kitchen, a separate kosher kitchen. So the question is, me, I'm not a patient. Can I eat that food? It's a good question he's having. I mean, can I eat the food that was warmed up for the patients on Shabbat, which is allowed to be done, but I'm not ill? I mean, that's a matter of opinion, but... But I'm not right. So can I? Right. So can I eat that food that was made for the patients in a violation of Shabbat technique? So they discussed that. That if, as long as they're not adding for you, meaning as long as they don't, they're not adding an extra portion. If they're adding for the rabbi, extra portion, that would be a problem. What they put in the microwave for me, that would be an issue. But if they're just making just for the over. patients, and I, then there's leftovers, and I eat it, that's fine. But if they would be making it specifically, for they're adding for me, if they know about me and they would add it, that would be a problem. They count me in the tally. So that's the halacha, if I remember from that. Yeah. So if you have a slab of non-kosher meat like this, that's clearly more than the zayit. Is that one? Or you have to no. count out no, how each many zayits So each are. time you swallow a zayit, a volume of a zayit, and of an olive, then you're in violation. But there's a question. You have to have separate... Uh, you know, let's say, like you, you said, I ate, let's say I ate it in one shot. You know, I swallowed a ten. You know, so that's a questionable. But, but so that's another answer to to differentiate between why we say violate Shabbat, even though 
the conventional wisdom would tell you don't violate Shabbat. That would be one. That's another thing, um, which is like this. Two other things that I remember offhand. One is that we we there's some kind of uh, which we also discussed in the past. I mean, we'll probably discuss a little more at a later time. Which is we believe um, in this heebie-jeebie thing of non-kosher, meaning meaning that the Torah seems to imply very, very vaguely, but the Torah uses in at the end of the laws of kosher. The Torah says, don't eat these foods, these abominable foods that I discussed, that I mentioned, because they will stuff up your heart. Okay? And what that means exactly, they will stuff you up. I don't know if, I don't think it means the literal sense. So the assumption is, and we discussed this here in the past, which is a very fascinating concept, but it's more Kabbalistic than practical, which is that we believe inherently, since God said this, don't not eat this food, so it's like some type of spiritual cholesterol, um, which uh, you can't see it, but if you eat Whataburger, besides the regular cholesterol, which will kill you, so there's, there's also this spiritual cholesterol that it will affect you spiritually. Because you are what you eat, the, the, the Kabbalah says, and it becomes part of your body. So even if you did, so the Kabbalah discusses, even if someone did uh, repent on their non-kosher that they ate, but it, they're stuck with it, it's all become part of their flesh. You can't get rid of it. Now, you could emotionally, um, you know, repent. You know, if you did it, you went through the system, you went to Shulam Kippur, you beat you, you know, whatever you did. But the fact that it's stuck to your body is nothing you can do about it. It's stuck with you forever. So there's an emo- there's a there's a spiritual cholesterol again, whatever that means. Doesn't use that language in the Shachanar. So based on that, so even though technically speaking, yes, Shabbat is more severe in that sense. Um, but because of this problem, what they call timtumale, which means stuffs up your heart. Again, it doesn't mean your literal heart. They they I don't know if they knew about cholesterol then, but but it means there's meaning, and it can have a, a bad spiritual effect on you. The fact that someone ate kosher. Now, the, the, what's interesting is that we find this concept even in places where, for example, it discusses, one of the sources is by actually Moses, it says he refused to nurse from the Egyptian uh, um, queen, uh, princess. And the Torah says that she had to go and find a Jewish nursemaid for Moshe when they found him in the basket. It's in the movie even. So she had to find the sister, that's the whole story of Miriam. So it says, why did Moshe refuse to nurse? So there's a different different medrashim. One says that this was the mouth that in the future would speak to the Shekhinah. Um, how could a nurse from an Egyptian handmaid? That's, that's one uh, medrash. But, but to discuss there, this concept of timtum alev, that meaning, and it's, it's quoted in Shekhinah, it's a rule. It says that if a Jewish woman, for whatever reason, um, let's say, has to eat non-kosher, a case where a Jewish woman is permitted, medically, she has, she has to violate the kosher law, she has to eat it. It says she shouldn't nurse her baby until that milk passes after she had the Whataburger. So if you're going to eat a Whataburger, don't nurse till uh, you pass the Whataburger. Why? Because, again, there's nothing prohibited about it. She was allowed to eat that food, right? But the concern is it will go transfer to the baby, and even though there's nothing wrong with the baby eating non-kosher, by the way, you're allowed to feed your children non-kosher. They're not bar mitzvah. They have no obligation to keep kosher until the age, until they're adults. But because of this concern of tim to malev, of that it could affect them spiritually, so therefore... Uh, so that's, that, that would be another answer. So really, so Shabbat is a more severe violation. But because of the concern that this can have an effect on them for the future, therefore, um, the spiritual effect, we don't allow, we'd rather have you feed the patient, violate Shabbat, than give them trait. That's another answer. Now, the, the last answer, just I remember, is there's another concern, which I think this is actually, the Rush mentions this, which is that there's a concern Jews are hard neck, uh, what's it called? Stiff neck people. 
Okay, and, and as we know, like we said many times as a rabbi, I can tell you when you're in situations like Yom Kippur, people tell the rabbi, you know, the rabbi says you have to eat. The doctor said they have to eat. They come, to, they say, no, listen, rabbi, I'm 75 years old. Now I'm going to start breaking Yom Kippur. Every year I have at least uh, two cases like that. And the person refuses, the doctor said he has to eat. The person refuses to eat. Or on Pesach, the doctor says they have to take this medicine. And they say, listen, I'm starching it, I'm not taking it, kidney is which is stupid, meaning again, it's, it's literally stupidity, and they're endangering their lives, they're violating Torah law. But as we know, Jews are not uh, the smartest people, and, um, and they're especially extreme religious Jews, and they think that they're firmer, you know, they're firmer than the rabbi, they're firmer than God sometimes, and more religious than God. So, uh, so that's a problem we have in Judaism, and, 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 and that's wrong. But, the, even the Shulchan Aruch understood and took that into account. Now, if you tell a Jew who's never eaten non-kosher before, um, and the doctor says he has to eat this non-kosher, there's a good chance that he's not going to want it. He's not going to want to eat it. And he's and not only that, he could even says he can be disgusted by that he'll puke. It was the first time this guy never ate pork. He's 75 years old. Now all of a sudden, the doctor says he must eat this pork. It's, up, it's, it's Shabbat. You have to eat it. You're obligated to eat it. It's a mitzvah to eat it. At the end of the day. It's not an easy thing. My father told me actually in the, in the camps when the, and I'm not sure it's related, but it's a good story, sad story, which is that when the Americans came in to liberate the camps, I, th um, I think my father was in Dachau at the time when liberation, so the American soldiers came in and uh, many people couldn't walk. They couldn't, they were just too weak. You know, they, you know, they couldn't even get out of the barracks. They were just so weak. Um, so, so the American soldiers made the mistakes. I mean, they fed them chocolate and they died. But there was, he said, there was one guy. They couldn't get him to come out. He hadn't eaten, and uh, so they killed a dog and they gave him dog meat and he died. The dog meat. I mean, he died. You know, he, his stomach exploded. Whatever. They they didn't realize. But the point is, there's a part of it also. Like, it's just disgusting. It's so, so uh, vile to uh, someone who's kept kosher his whole life to eat dog meat. That's also a problem. So the, so the Shulchan Aruch understanding or the, the law understood that if it's a choice between eating kosher food, violating Shabbat and giving him kosher food, or, or giving him tray for meat, and he might, he, listen, you can try to fool him. You can tell him it's 100% kosher, but in most cases the guy's not stupid. He can't pull the wool over his eyes. Therefore, he says he might become cuts. It's going to be disgusting in his eyes, and he won't eat as much as he should. So therefore, the halacha says, better violate Shabbat, which is the more strict violation, the more severe violation, and don't violate, um, and, or even if you have the option of violating kosher, because there's a possibility, psychologically, the patient won't want to eat the non-kosher meat, and therefore, you know, we'd rather be safe, on the safe side, give him violate Shabbat, where we know, and you tell him it's 100% kosher, we had a man with a long beard, and pay his shech to the animal, and everything's good, we gave him a bris milah circumcise the cow, all is good. So, so it's an unbelievable, again, you see how far that the halach goes over the concern that there's a 1% chance this guy might be disgusted by it and not eat it. And therefore, he'd rather have you violate the more strict violation. So, it's, so that's uh, some of the answers I remember. So we'll stop uh, here, but, but, um, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic. Again, how I'll just tell you one other one other case what's relevant to because you do do this in some neighborhoods I mentioned last week where they have um, it's a question of response time. by the way I said it this morning also that, uh, my shul had a security meeting last night I wasn't there but but uh, but they did you know I'm sure there's a lot of people who carry and so I was saying this morning we, we mentioned last week that Allah is so strict that even if you have a hundred people running 
to pick an apple off a tree, let's say the doctor says this guy needs to eat an apple on Shabbat, and you're picking an apple is prohibited. So it says even if 100 people run, they all should pick the apple, because you don't know who's going to get there first to the patient. We don't know which apple is gonna, he's going to get there first. So even though every single one is going to violate Shabbat, you're having 100 people violate Shabbat where he only needs one apple. But you're going to bring him 100 apples, but we don't know who's first. And therefore, allow all the, all the hundreds of mitzvah for each hundred to go and pick the apple and run. Whoever gets there quickest. So I was saying, the question is, you know, is do you allow one person to carry in the shul? Do you allow 100 people to carry in the shul? It's an interesting question. Meaning, do you say, listen, uh, okay, you can have one guy with a gun. I mean, obviously, we're talking about they're trained and they know what they're doing. Not people are just going to be okay corral. But, but the point is, maybe it's better that do we allow everyone to carry in the shul because only there's, we don't know who's going to be the, the right shot to get him. You're finally catching on. <laughs> to get him properly. So that's an interesting question relevant to this. Um, the other thing is, oh, it's very relevant, which is that, so they have this Hatzalo group, which they now actually started in Houston. It's an EMT volunteer organization. It's national, actually. Uh, they started a women's division. You know about the women's? See the movie? They showed it at the film festival? No, we didn't why, show it. At why the not? Well, because it's a lousy movie. You always showed it. Oh, well, uh, it it's not a good movie. Really? I liked it. I mean, just to see the strength of this woman. Yeah, but, but, that, but that's... Establishment. That's, that's the whole thing. And that's oh. not enough to make... Yeah, probably just a little higher on himself. But anyway, so yeah. there's, a, there's a there's a volunteer ambulance corps in, in started in New York City, but it's all over the country now. It's Orthodox, Orthodox Jews, and they're all volunteer. They walk around with walkie-talkies. And the point is because the response time in many of these big cities is terrible. Um, and therefore, they, they, you know, it's also a macho thing. These guys, you know, run out of shul, they throw their talus on the cherry, and they get to throw a cherry on top of the car like Kojak, remember the Kojak days? And they drive on sidewalks, and they're all excited, so it's a good way for Orthodox men to, to uh, leech, release their machoism and their manhood. So, but they do a great job, and their response time is unbelievable, and they, and there was a whole fight now in New York. So women, they don't, most of, them, most of them don't allow women to join. So these women went ahead and they started their own competing, um, Orthodox women competing uh, uh, things. So they made a movie, a documentary about the woman. Anyway, the bottom line is, she's coming to Houston, I think she's showing it in Houston again, someone's house next week, this organization. Anyway, the bottom line is, the, um, uh, so I was saying, oh, so the question is, what has, should we have a non-Jew driving the ambulance? Okay, that's the question. Better, as we're saying, maybe to minimize the violation of Shabbat. So the Shofar says, if it's going to change the response time, there's a chance it might in any way affect the response time, then better have a Jew driving it, even though, even if it's a suffix, it means even if it's a doubt. But the problem becomes, interestingly enough, what happens about coming back, which I want to, that's a whole separate class, maybe we'll discuss next week. What about returning? So these volunteers, they're allowed to violate Shabbat to get to that, <coughs> to bring the patient. But now they're, they're in the hospital, are they allowed to return? They want to eat their challenge, uh, you know, in their house in Shabbat and have a meal with their family. Can they drive back from the hospital? Or you say, no, they're stuck there the rest of the show. They drove to Manhattan. They have to get back to Brooklyn. They're not going to walk. I mean, it depends when. They might. But, or do you say it's okay for them to drive back? Usually they're going with their own cars because you have m- multiple volunteers. One, pick, if an ambulance is necessary, they'll, they'll go pick up the station. They pick up the bus. They pick up the ambulance. But the question, the ambulance obviously could return. Um, because they need, might need it again on Shabbat. So you have to have, what about the guy? There's hundreds of these volunteers. They don't need this volunteer to be back in his house eating his you know, meal, his challenge, having a nap on Shabbat's afternoon. Does he have to stay the rest of Shabbat? How do we work that? And the question is, do we have a non-Jew drive back the ambulance? So they, in some communities, what they have, in Lakewood, where I went to rabbinical school, 
they have the Jews go to the call, but they have a non-Jew following, following them in a car. And then let's say it's a, they don't have to take the kid to the hospital, whatever it is. So the non-Jew then drives back the Jew's car to his house, to his driveway, puts it back in. They don't, and the Jew has to walk back, but the non-Jew will drive them back, drive the car back so it's available, or, or the bus, or the ambulance. So it's a question of how, you know, it's how does it work returning from the call on Shabbat? Going to the call, everyone agrees you can follow Shabbat. But what about returning returning from the call? Does that allow me, because there might be a future call, or so that we're going to talk about, and maybe we'll talk about next week, Ramosha Feinstein has an unbelievable um, chidush, which he says is, since there's a chance, if you make the guy stuck in the hospital, if you let him be stuck there for Shabbat, the next time his beeper goes off, his walkie-talkie, he's not going to run as quickly, because he knows it's Friday night, I'm going to be stuck there tomorrow, I'm not going to have food there. No kosher food. I'll be stuck there without my family. My wife's gonna be upset at me when I come back. I don't have to wash the dishes from the whole Shabbat. So I, I, he's not gonna run as quickly for the next call. Therefore, says Rambam Shvayz, that's enough of a reason to allow him to drive back on Shabbat, which is not saving a life. It's unbelievable. So we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk a little. Thank you.